Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Sukkah, daf kaf aleph, page 21. But I'm going to start with the Mishnah, as promised, on page 20, because it's the new parak. And we wanted to start the new day, or we wanted to save the new parak for a new day. Here we go. It's actually material that we have discussed already. Hayashen tachatamita basukah. If you have a bed in your sukkah and you sleep under the bed, why you're doing this is not clear to me, right? Perhaps you should sleep in your bed, but sleeping under the bed is the case here. Meaning you have the book, the, the, the bed is above you and the schach is far above you. So I say, why would people sleep under a bed? And Rabbi Huda says, what do you mean? Of course we slept under a bed. It was our custom. No, again, we were, it was our practice that we would sleep underneath a bed. And the Zakadim knew about this. The elders never said anything. They never corrected us. They never rebuked us. They never complained that we weren't fulfilling our obligation, which, of course, implies that they were fine, right? That the halachic status of that bed was not, somehow it was not going to be in their way as an obstruction before, you know, in between the person and the schach. So I want to just pause for one moment and say, so here at this beginning of the Mishnah is really a halachic premise, a halachic statement, a halachic caveat, right, from a, with a manda amar, namely Rabbi Huda. And then the Mishnah continues and has within it um, a narrative which is going to come to support a halachic side without it being simply a direct halakhic conversation. And it reminded me straight away, and maybe it will have reminded um, or maybe not, of the first Mishnah of Masach Brachot, where we have a whole discussion of what time we could begin, begin saying Kriyachma, and then there's a narrative at the end of that Mishnah of, you know, the the guys who the morning, but it wasn't quite the morning, and could they stay, stay but it's not and it's not, it wasn't a list of halachot. It was a narrative and the question stood. So here we've got to help. So Rabbi Shimon um, is going to counter the opinion of Rabbi Huda that we just said, where he said that the bed is not an interruption before, an interference before the schach. And he gives the story that happened with Tavi. That Tavi, you'll remember, of Raman Gamliel. He's a servant of Raman Gamliel. He's not Jewish. I that's that's a key point here. Knew that from a previous discussion of Tavi. Yordana, I think you did a who's who on Tavi, I don't know, some months ago. I did. I don't remember. We should really keep a list of what who's who's we did and which episodes. Right. But, Except yeah. for some people do going forward. What? Right. It's worth sometimes talking about the people again. The real point here is he's not Jewish and he's an avid of Rabbi Gamliel. And he shows up. Here he is in the in the Mishnah. But Tavi, I, I think this him. is one of the most famous examples of him because he's he was known to understand and keep halacha correctly. That's what's interesting about him. And so here we have, you know, a famous example where we're going to learn a halacha from a not, you know, from a non-Jew, basically. Basically, so what happens? Tavi would sleep. He slept underneath the bed in the sukkah. 
Meaning, Vamarlan Rabban Gamliel is Kanim, Reitim Tavi Avdi, Shahu Tamit Chacham, Viodea Shavadim Pturim, Minasuka, Afichach Yashain, Hu Tachadamita. Look at how wise, how knowledgeable Tavi is. He sleeps under the bed because he knows that as an Evid, as a servant, as a slave, he is not obligated in the mitzvah of Sukkah. He's exempt from it. Sleep under the bed without any interference, right? One could suggest, if one wanted to support Rabbi Yehuda, one could suggest that really Tavi knew, like he was poskening, like Rabbi Yehuda, problem. But position here, right? Rabbi Gamliel is pretty clear that Tavi's positioning under the bed is because he knew, right? He understood that he didn't need the sukkah. So sleeping under the bed was not going to be a problem for him. Um, okay. Okay. That's the end of that passage there. And then the Mishnah concludes, right? End of this is, you know, in the name of Rabbi Shimon, basically, says so this, this position, right? Rabbi Gamliel is talking about Tavi. He's not paskening. He's talking about the, the practice of Tavi and teachings of it for halacha. And therefore, this Mishnah kind of teaches us the halacha Without, without um, instructing the halal. Lafi darkenu lamanu. Therefore, we learned in this way that one who sleeps under a bed lo And as you said, Yordana, we're learning it really from Tavi, right? From this practice that the non-Jew, uh, the non-Jew and the Evid, right? Um, in both cases, he's not obligated in the midst of sukkah, so he can he can get away with it and it's accepted. So. I mean, we've been talking about the bed for a while as a possible interference with the sukkah. I actually find Rabbi Huda's position here the most interesting, and the Gemara goes on to discuss it. Um, the question of how the, the height of the bed seems to matter, whether it will be considered an interruption or an interference between the person and the schach. I, I love this story because I think what this Mishnah really emphasizes to us, and it is something we've talked about, Anne, but, you know, there are different ways to learn halakha. And we, I think, have spent a lot of time talking about the Midrash halakha piece. But at the end of the day, practice is always important. And how, you know, we see something done and using that as a story, right, similar to what we saw in the first Mishnah in Brachos, is very important. I think we have a great example of that here in this Mishnah. And, you know, it's very typical of the Amurayim, meaning the authors of the Gemara, for them to sort of tease out, well, how do we know this is what we do? But when we see it in the Mishnah, it's a little bit different. It doesn't appear always in the Mishnah. We do have some Mishnahs that have very elaborate Midrash Halakha. And here I think we have a great example of a Mishnah using precedent or, you know, real life example in order to establish the Halakha. I think it's also really interesting that the Machloket is not on the same point, right? Meaning... When we talk about a nikudata machloket, we talk about the, the locus of the dispute, right? Then very often we would say, well, you know, is the bed a, a, is the bed a problem, is the bed a not a problem? And that, of course, is the, the difference in psa. But the way they're getting to the discussion is so different, right? The, the question of whether, you know, whether we're going to derive it from practice or whether we're going to from a to to how high a tent must be. Right, it's a really different approach. I think you're exactly right when you say 
Look, it's an example of how how different ways, how many different ways we learn halacha. All right, I'm going to move on to the second Mishnah uh, on our page here, and it's a very very short Mishnah. So somebody who supports his sukkah on the legs of a bed, right? So in other words, he some of the commentators explain like maybe he leans his sukkah, the sukkah roofing on a bed, um, you know, but in other words, the sukkah itself is not stable by itself. It needs some sort of support. That is still considered to be a kosher sukkah. Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda basically says, no, if the sukkah can't stand by itself, uh, you know, and it needs an additional support, it is not going to Now, before we even jump into the Gemara that's here, one thing that I found interesting about this Mishnah is this Mishnah feels like a Parak Aleph Mishnah, right? Like that's where we got into a lot of discussion about, you know, sort of the actual structure of the Mishnah itself. So that was one thing that struck me as a little bit unusual was its placement here. Now the Gemara wants to describe, you know, get a little bit into the reasoning for Rabbi Yehuda. My time is a Rabbi Yehuda. So there's two different opinions here about what exactly was Rabbi Yehuda's reasoning. Right. And the first one is So one person's opinion is, is that it's one, a sukkah that can't support itself is not considered to be kosher because it lacks sort of, it's not keva, it's not permanent, it's not stable enough. Because if you took that bed away, it would basically fall. And the second one is, is that no, the reason why it's not kosher is because a bed can be makabel tuma. And so I think these two answers are very different. One really creates the one about being keva is very expansive. In other words, it doesn't just have to be a bed that it's built on. It's anything that would support the sukkah, right? If, if the sukkah can't be supported by itself, but anything supported it, according to that opinion, that's why Rabbi Yehuda would say it's not okay because of the keva piece. But for the second opinion, it's only a makabel tuma piece. So theoretically, if you could support the sukkah with something that's not makabel tuma, then it should be fine for that sukkah to need to be supported. So now the Gemara can go on. My benayhu, right? What's the difference? Kagon shenaat shafudin shel barzel aleihem, right? So they're explaining exactly what I just said, right? Which is the difference is if you took iron skewers in the ground and roofed the sukkah over that, right? Right, the one who says that it's not permanent, it's permanent. You use something metal, we know that's something you can build something with, and the sukkah itself sort of becomes permanent in itself because you're using something metal. Right, but the but the one who says that it's an issue of being makabel tuma, these metal skewers can become makabel tuma, and therefore it would still be unfit. So what Rabbi Yehuda exactly means, if we use these two interpretations for a reason, is not exactly clear. And now we get to Abai, which is sort of going to round out this discussion. Amar Abai, lo shanu elasamach. So Rabbi Abai says that the Chachamim only taught this in a case where you leaned the roofing on the bed. But if you place the roofing on the bed itself, so in other words, you take poles to a bed, like basically like a canopy, right? And the roofing is supported by the poles. Everyone would say that that is Kshera. And my time, what's the reason? 
right? Because the one who says that it's important that it be permanent, it's permanent, right? The bed, it's the whole sukkah is the bed itself. It just it's a bed with four posts. The one who says that it's because you used as the base or to keep it sturdy, you know, something that is makabel tuma, right? The roofing itself is not, you know, it's not supported by something that is makabel tuma because the bed is makabel tuma, but the posts that are attached to the bed, that's not a kli, and that could not be actually makabel tuma. So what I like that Abayi does is, is Abayi even brings that differentiation even to a further level, right? It's not even just about the keva and the makabel tuma. It's that the, the thing you could have a part of a bed, theoretically, right? Or a post. I mean, it's not really part of the bed. It's you just attach post. So even though you're using the base of the sukkah itself could be makabel tuma, but if the schach is not attached to that, right, then that is considered um, to be okay. So again, I personally think this is a Mishnah that feels like it belongs in Parak Aleph because it has to do with structure um, of, of the Mishnah a little bit more. Uh, sorry, structure of the Sukkah itself. But I think it brings up some new important elements, which is, do we say that when we build a Sukkah, it needs to really support itself? Or is that is that not the piece that's important? Or is it the Makabel Tuma piece? And I think we saw hints of that in Paragallop, but this Mishnah really brings it out with this opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. I think it also somewhat goes with the question of this bed, right? Meaning the question of roof of your sukkah. How, you know, with with what's above you, to how, how creative can it be? How different from, I don't know, the basic expectation of what a sukkah is? Which brings me back to the point that we're never actually told what that basic expectation of a sukkah of what schach is supposed to look like, which is why they have to have a missional like this to say, you know, the, you know, if you have an incline, if you have it this way, if you're under a bed, I think I feel like all of these are kind of circling this question of what must the roof of a sukkah be, and maybe this is getting at, I. I this may just be my sense. I don't want to say it too strongly that the essence, right? The, what makes a sukkah, sukkah, a sukkah, there's all kinds of regulations into the sukkah. And we talked about it, right? The walls and so on, right? But but it seems to me that there's so much more attention given to what's the roof of it because isn't that the essence of what makes a sukkah, a sukkah? Even though you could have other ways that you would not have a sukkah, but but the roof is, the schach of it is the, is the most sukkah, aspect of it you know and again i maybe th- this may be just riding on my own preconceptions but but it seems to me that that's why these mishnayot you know take the time to talk about cases that some of them really are i think what you would call boundary pushing right they're they're taking to the nth degree to define what is a roof that counts for sukkah even in Perkbet. right and i think there's I, I think this is boundary pushing i mean i guess theoretically somebody could build it like this, but I don't think many people really built it like this. Certainly not anything that we've seen, right? Meaning, again, I don't know what happens out in the out in the field, right? If somebody is making a what do you call it? Like a haphazard kind of oops, it's sukkahs. Let me see what I can find to do this. But but anybody who's planning a sukkah is not going to be doing this. Well, that's our daft discussion for the day. Rank us review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. 
Let us know what you thought about this app on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Thank you.